Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of Let Creativity. This is your host, Alicia K. Hurst. Today's guest is D.B. Marshall, and he wrote a book called Love's Pursuit, Journey to Wellness. He talks about how, of course, the creative process, how that helped him uh, throughout his life in various different ways, and also how he turned his pain into wisdom that he shares through his book, Love's Pursuit. It's a great conversation. He gives you uh, a code that you can use to get a discount off the book. Uh, So stay tuned for that at the end. But without further ado, D.B. Marshall. Welcome, to Mr. D.B. Marshall, to be thorough. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. You gave me a title. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show of Let Creativity podcast. I'm excited to, to ask you about your book, which we will get to. And your book is called Love's Pursuit, Journey to Wellness. Yes. Um, welcome, welcome. Could you give me a snapshot into your life of, of D.B.'s life as, as a child growing up? and kind of the journey that happened to get you to this point? Yeah, um, I had one of those absolutely amazing, awesome sauce lives <laughs> growing up as a child. Oh, and you know, you may not hear that often because I don't hear it often. And as a social worker and working with the, the v- Division of Family Children Services and just you know, talking to my friends and things of that nature, I realized how special my life really was growing up as a child. So um, let me start off by saying I am the oldest of four, okay? And my dad had children from four different women. So he had a total of nine children. But of the nine, I was number four. But from my mom, I'm the first. Okay. So it's uh, rather funny because when I was born, my mom told me the story that my dad did not think I was his. And the reason uh-huh. why, because my dad was light-skinned, like fair light-skinned, and all of his kids really came out light-skinned. So I was uh-huh. kind of the first dark-colored child of his. And so anyway. <laughs> so there was drama that. when you were born? <laughs> yeah. So... At the end of the day, eventually he realized, like, you know what? Like, my mom has a whole history and a generation on her side, and everybody does not have to necessarily look like him <laughs> to be his child. Like, I can have my mother's genes. And so, um, but it's kind of funny, right? Because back in that, like, back in the day, day, like, long time ago, like, that was a big thing with men in, 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 in the, like, in a royal family and things of that nature, like, that you had to have a son or, you know, it had mm-hmm. to look like the dad and stuff like that. So, anyway, that's that whole man ego chauvinistic whatever ideology whatever you want to call it but i had a, a pretty um swell upbringing i was pole do you know what pole means no i don't okay so um you have poor then you have pole so there's a complete distinction uh... and so we were pretty much help raised by the government we were on food stamps housing we got high housing assistance in addition to that you know that came with powdered milk uh, when you literally have to have the dry milk and you add water and you kind of mix it up and then you had milk and you had <laughs> welfare cheese is really 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 thick and we had food stamps and all that stuff so I always thank the government for assisting my mom because she ended up being a single parent and raising us so mm. yeah. did, but go ahead sorry so was your dad never in the picture or did he come in later yeah. Yeah, so he was always in a picture, right? So my dad was always married, but my mom was always kind of like the side chick kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So she was, well, first of all, she didn't even know she he was married. Then when she found out, she was devastated, right? And so mm-hmm. then I don't know what happened to that. I don't know if she just thought he was eventually going to leave his wife, but that never happened. They stayed married until she passed away and I was almost like maybe like seven years ago and that just recently passed too, maybe four years ago now. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess she thought they was going to be together because she didn't know we have four, I'm a total four kids from the man. So (laughs) I don't, 
I love life stories. I mean, you really. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because I don't know the arrangement that he had with his wife and my mom or whatever, but whatever, whatever happened, it worked for the kids, at least for me, because That's great. I don't have any, you know, issues with my mom or my dad as a dad relates as far as what they was going through in their relationship when we took trips and mm -hmm. trips was really just to the beach because we were po because uh, I'm from Miami Florida so we couldn't afford to go anywhere but whatever anytime that we had special events my dad was there oh okay yeah. mm -hmm. so he, Great. Was, he wasn't missing even though he didn't spend a night all the time if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but <laughs> unfortunately your your mom still had to support you a lot it sounds like yeah, so for the most part, so when we think of support, I like to think of it, you know, I like to break it up. So you have the psychological support, you have the emotional support, you have the financial support and all that good stuff. So overall, my mom was the breadwinner and she raised us, but my dad would like drop money off or he would assist with other odds and, and like Christmas or, you know, back to school or things of that nature. And one of the things that I really love my father um, and I talk about this um, in my book that I really, really loved about him when I first started working. I started at Burger King as a, I call myself a janitor, but I was cleaning toilets for the most part on the weekends. I was 14 years old and I had to be to work at 5 a.m. Oh. So my dad used to get up every weekend, pick me up. He would drive from his house, pick me up and take me to work every Saturday and Sunday. He never questioned it. He never missed a day. There's once he ran late and I got to work late, but you know, I didn't make a big deal. And he apologized. He was like, son, I'm so sorry. But those are one of the, you know, the one of the memories that I really cherish about him. Cause when you think about it, it's like, oh my God, he was so dependable. He was there like every weekend, make sure I got to work on time and yeah. he supported me like, dude, if that is not a dependable black man, then what is? Right. No, I and I, I think that's a great point to bring up too. Is dependable is is um super important, I think, with any relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, especially when we talk about marriage and relationships, oftentimes I hear the thing 50-50, which I don't believe in, but if that's your, you know, that's your theory regarding relationships, I completely get it. But to me, marriages and relationship works when we're able to fill in the gap so you may not make x amount of money but if you can come home and you can cut grass or you can cook and you can clean like that's value that you add to the relationship because that's time and your time is money you know, your time yeah. is money, right so yeah i just yeah i love my dad oh <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a great story because i mean really that setup that foundation can go so many ways um yeah. <laughs> so your parents sound like loving, supportive people in various ways. Yes. How was education for you growing up? Wow. You, you know, you really asked some really great questions. <laughs> so education, it was, it was cool. It was awesome. I, in addition to my siblings, we love school. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. My mom didn't graduate high school, neither did my dad. Mm -hmm. And we were not forced to go to school. Like uh, we didn't have to go to school, <laughs> <laughs> but if we miss school, oh no, we had, we would throw a fit, you know? So my parents knew do not allow us to miss school, you know, make sure we got up on time and things like that. Like I literally got so many awards and recognitions for being the best all around student to, um, um, never missing a day in class, perfect attendance and all that good stuff. Now, I won't say I was extremely smart, but within the area in which I was raised, I was smart because maybe kids didn't apply themselves. But of course, when I got to college, that was a whole nother story. But going to school was a, a, a really healthy process for me. Like I didn't have any issues. I didn't fight. I got along with folks. The only drama that I might've experienced through the whole education part was like finding a girlfriend. Like it was so hard for me to find a girlfriend or well, the girlfriend that I wanted at the particular time, they didn't want me. And I guess, cause I wasn't a jock, 
But I mm. did have a girlfriend, Rachel Sullivan's Dana Mobley. She was an awesome girlfriend. But, I, you know, I wanted Alejandria. I wanted, you know, someone else. But it is what it is. I got you. <laughs> yes, the love life in a teenager's uh, world is super important. <laughs> uh, how about the creative aspect uh, with the education and, the, um, and growing up with your parents? Was that part of... Uh, was that important to you at that point or did it change? Um, I didn't really know what creative was. So when you are poor, you are poor, if you know, you don't you you don't realize that you've been creative, but mm -hmm. you are being creative, right? Because you have to turn makeshift, you know, like makeshift stuff into like something that's real or um somewhat a reality to you. And so um, we always came together as family members to make sure whatever we do, we just kind of gave our best, if that makes sense. So I was being creative, but did not realize it. So a prime example of that is like, we used to have, you know, what I call it, it's not a family reunion. Our family used to, I call it family get together. So we would have family get togethers like for Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas and things of like that. So. I used to literally put together performances for the family. Oh, wow. Yes. Just you or you and your siblings? Well, I I would put everything together. So I was a choreographer. I picked the music. You know, I literally sew. I used to sew our clothes. Like, I literally <laughs> get in front of the song. Awesome. And I would sew our clothes. Now, I didn't think about that as being creative as a child, but I knew that we only had so much. So I used the resources that we had. And I, we were come up with a dance number, come up with the song and everything. And we would literally perform. And my sisters, they laugh at me to this day on how I used to, I guess, I, I train them like a racehorse almost. It's like, no, we got to do it again. No, that's not right. We can't do it again. And so we laugh about that to this day. Like I used to make them really, really work out. <laughs> we got the routine almost perfect. Mm -hmm. So when you say perform, were you like dancing and singing? Were you putting on a play? What type? All the above. Oh. So dancing, singing, um, putting on a play, coming up with a, a dance choreography. Because back then, um, we had things like, um, I don't know if I want to tell my age, but we had like break dance and stuff. Like break dance was real big back then. Then it went from that to we started looking at a lot of singing movies does that make sense like mm -hmm. little shop of horrors like was really big for us another show was back big for us was rash the riches um and that had tisha campbell in there and album was a huge and still i'm a huge tisha campbell fan and so we would just to come up and we were singing we were mimic and back then videos start coming out right like vh1 and mtv and all that stuff started coming out so it was just a matter of we were just imitating and um lip singing and all that good stuff I really miss music videos. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be like, that's what we did all day Saturday or Sunday, like literally just look yeah. at videos. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds really cool. So do you, <laughs> this is just out of curiosity, it's like still, do you have that uh, urge to do that? Like currently to put on a play or something or sing and dance? Actually, no, I don't have the urge to do that. But what I think I want to do is do, because um, in my book, I talk about people that were really special to me and, and how they contribute to my life. And with that said, I was thinking about doing some videos and something creative with that. And yeah. by me having this conversation with you, I feel a little bit more comfortable with doing it because before I was like oh my god I'm going to do that because technology has changed so much mm. and so I don't know how to use all of technology or these resources but um, I think this conversation is inspiring me to be a little bit more confident now now that I realize all the great stuff I did as a child that I kind of filed away in the file cabinet I mean, yeah. it's there, right? Yeah, it is there. <laughs> and I really want to pay tribute to those individuals that inspired me because um, I, I, I don't think, well, maybe they know, I don't know, but there are so many people out there that has a huge impact on, you know, little boys or little girls like myself who couldn't go anywhere and all we had was just television and we had to create our, our own alternate 
reality because we didn't have anything else and we just had to do it we well make do with what we already had so yeah yeah and i think that's like i think that's a great point you're bringing up too is that you were creative in so many ways and didn't really realize it it was just something you did naturally and i think that's part of the i won't say problem but part of the because i hear so many times that people tell me like i'm not creative i you know i don't have a creative bone in my body yeah i was that guy sometimes it's so second nature that you don't really when was the point that you did start realizing (laughs) probably when i started writing this book so i was yeah i was that guy that said more specifically at work oh who who, anyone here creative and i was like i I have no creativity i am a math science guy one plus one equals two now when you start blurring the lines and you talk about creativity creativity to me comes from a very passionate um artsy space head space mind space heart space and Mm. so i wasn't operating from that space because growing up i saw eventually realized that we were poor right so i didn't find out that we were poor into high school like literally high school was it because other people pointed it out to you (laughs) no what what happened was uh, we grew up in the hood in the projects and stuff like that right and so my mom got an opportunity she was on this waiting list and i didn't realize she was on a waiting list for almost like eight to ten years to get a HUD house. So HUD housing basically said we have this house for rent in this middle class neighborhood that you can rent for a low price because it's based on your income. So we moved into a HUD house and that was like huge for us, right? Because our neighbors had pools, uh, mm-hmm. people had cars, like we were the only one that had a janky car. Like our car <laughs> used to like put, put, put down the road and you can hear it backfiring. While you- <laughs> All my friends knew when we were coming down the road because we had the loudest car, right? It was like, oh, there they go, y'all. So with that said, um, I was just exposed to just so much because I was in a middle-class neighborhood and I read something from W.E.D. Du Bois when he mentioned that we were going to continue to live, and I'm paraphrasing, live into a Bach and be judgmental because we don't know what's out there in the world. All we know is what's in front of us or what's around us. But once you start exploring and seeing things, you realize people are more like you than they are different. And -hmm. you realize what are some of your potentials because you have your options now, right? So that just opened up uh, uh, just a, a huge, huge, huge door for us, me, my siblings, just to be able to see there were other types of people. And even though they were all still black, the way they lived life was completely different than what I was accustomed to when we lived in a black area and or in, in a low income area. It completely shifted everything, my whole mindset. Right. Mm-hmm. The environment's so important. Yes. Again, it was really awesome. You know, and my peers, they end up going to college. I didn't know about college. I didn't know what a college was. And the only reason I knew about college because of the Cosby show. And after the Cosby show, they used to have this other show come on, like it was a different world. And that's when I started learning about college and from my friends. They're like, oh, yeah, we going to college. I'm like, college? Dwayne Wayne, I love the place. <laughs> like, college? What, like, what is college? Because, again, you know, the only person graduated high school is my uncle. And my mom didn't really have a relationship with him like that. And so I didn't know what any of that was. So I was the first one to graduate in my family. Congratulations. Yeah, from high school and from college, like me and my cousin, Dontre, um, and she she was born in, I was born in January, she was born in April, but we graduated senior. So we were the first ones to really like explore college, explore graduation to know what that looked like. And so I think that really just made my family proud because, you know, we was the first to do that. That's really amazing. And then you were saying, I thought you said something about college is a little different for you than than high school. Well, you know, so I I graduated like the top 10% of my class in high school. But when I got to college, it was completely different. I would, I were, and again, I'm not a writer. I don't know if I say that or not, but I'm not a writer. So when I would get my writing papers back, it would have SGP. And I was like, why are they writing it SGP? Then they would do it in red, SGP. And they would, I would come back, 
with a D. I always got Ds. And so I went to my professor one day. I said, I'm going to ask him, what does this mean? Spelling, grammar, and punctuation. Oh. And I was devastated. So I was like, all right, so how do I fix this? So I found a writing lab. They had writing labs. They had reading labs. And when I would say, when I, I tell you, when I went in there, I was in there for hours. Mm. And I would go anywhere, just like to the gym, anywhere between three to five days a week until I got it right. And let me tell you, when I got that first B, <laughs> it's like I, I swear I would have graduated. I've graduated college at that time when I got that first B. But that's what it felt like. But it was one of the most beautiful things that I experienced when I got that first B. And it wasn't in red. <laughs> Teachers, if you're listening, don't traumatize these kids. Do not write in red. It's traumatizing. It really is. It is, especially when you don't know why. (laughs) Uh, I love, I mean, it's great that you asked and like took the initiative and it was like, what's going on? Because if they don't tell you why, nothing's going to (laughs) change. That's true. But you know, I've always been like that, even like to this, to this day. And I'm a doctoral student now, and um, I'm in the process of writing my dissertation. And again, writing is something I have to work at. It's not second nature. When I wrote my book, it was not second nature. Like, I literally have to think about writing because I'm a black and white kind of guy. And Mm -hmm. one of the things as I'm going to school at Georgia State University, um, becoming a social worker, and I used to take my papers in, they used to always (laughs) say to me, it's like, you need to be a little bit more descriptive. I'm like, what do you want? I gave you what happened, where it started, and I gave you a solution. I don't need all this filler stuff. And I was like, no, we have to explore (laughs) your feelings and your emotions. And that wasn't taught in my house. So I didn't know how to do that. Like, Mm. I didn't say I love you to my mom till I was like 27. Oh, wow. But it was, you know. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't love there. It just language. mm -hmm. My mom didn't wasn't raised like that and so to express herself emotionally and we were not raised like that but we knew she loved us and she knew we loved her but hugs and kisses and I love you no that that was Valentine's Day that come around once a year so um when I had to really start exploring what this emotion and these descriptive words meant and how I was going to convey them on paper it made it even more difficult because then I mean I have to start being more in touch with my feelings and that was uncomfortable and I bet that helped you though as a social worker to help other people overcome that because a lot of people growing up did not have weren't taught how to emotionally express themselves I think that honestly I and I I don't have research or anything to back this up just it's just observation from from uh, talking to other people and also my own experiences is, is I think that's what this generation and other generations are starting to, to learn and be more adept at is expressing yeah. themselves emotionally way more than previous generations I completely agree with you you know now they have this thing called emotional intelligence have you have you heard about emotional intelligence mm-hmm. a lot of researchers around that and so I, I completely agree so we were not necessarily taught how to manage emotions and we were not taught that emotions determines your decisions or your outcomes and so now again uh, this is something that I, I talk about in my book is that we have there's a difference between reaction and a response and the reactions for the most part is emotion emotionally driven and you have to sometimes put yourself in timeout. Yes, people, I put my adult self in timeout and there's nothing wrong with it. When mm-hmm. I am heated, I go straight to my corner <laughs> and I work it out. And then I come back, then I process. We have to process things. When we process things, we come up with better um, solutions that help us get through whatever it is that we need to get through at that particular moment. Which is exactly, well, I won't say exactly, but it's part of why I'm so passionate about the creative process, because um, I think that if we can start really tapping into the creative process and become more comfortable with it, Mm -hmm. we can then, it'll just kind of expand outward. And this is my idealism, I guess, but then it'll no longer be like, oh, well, war is the only answer. We will have better solutions because we'll be so used to to the creative process and creating in a in a constructive way. 
y'all listen to everything that she's saying because she <laughs> is hitting it like right on. Like, listen, let me tell you about creative process. Um, in this book, we have a section that we call creative wellness. And I put creative wellness in a book because creativity, oftentimes, one, like you said, is overlooked. We don't realize that we have it. And one of the things about transitioning and transforming into adulthood, social, our social conditions tell us, and even the church almost kind of tell us, like, you need to drop those childlike things. You're now an adult and you don't supposed to explore that side of you. The devil mm-hmm. is a lie. The devil is a lie. Create, let me tell you, creativity fuels everything you do and everything around you. And you have to be aware, but not just aware. You have to be intentional and attention and provide attention or attentional is not a word, but provide your intention with the attention to whatever it is that you want to do in life. And that's when creativity happens. It fuse everything about you. It's, it, it, it's just, I don't know how to even I'm, like, I'm getting excited talking about it. Like, it's just almost like opening a treasure box because yes. we all have it. Right. But we all don't tap into it. Right. No, I love. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. Everything you just said. So let's get to your one because you repeatedly say you're not a writer, but then eventually you write a book. (laughs) So what what uh, what was the catalyst that moment that you're like, I need to write this? Hurt, pain and divorce. (laughs) Yeah. So listen, there's a lot of things going on in my life. Um, I'm a kidney patient. I'm a kidney advocate. You know, I grew up in a situation where I was able to tap into my resilience to get me to where I am as a doctoral student. So people always say, what did you do? Like, like what in your life happened? What, like, what did your parents do to allow you and afford you to push through? And I always tell them, I don't know. But what I do tell them is that you know, I was really just raised in a loving family. And because of all of that, I have a support system that just support me with everything that I do, even if they know it's a bad decision. They'd be like, we'll talk about it, but they'll still say, yeah, go do it. We got your back. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of good, too. And so with that said, I was um, married for 10 years. I've been married twice, but the last one, and both of them for 10 years now I think about it. But the last one really took a toll on me. I believe in marriage and love, um, hence Love's Pursuit, right? Journey to Wellness, the name of the book. But there's also the name of my company. And Love Pursuit just basically says, we are on this constant journey of loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, loving our family, loving our kids, loving God, you know, loving whoever it is that you serve, you know, and, and it's not a universal tool or resource that you have to guide you on how to love. Because love literally have a total of 22 different definitions. When I looked it up, it was like 22 definitions. Right. How you use it. Like so, the Greek words are you talking about? Like the... Um... So uh, you, you, if you use it as a noun, you use it as a verb, you use it as an adjective, like they all have a type of meaning. Interesting. Yeah. And so I just, I read it, right? But I define for myself what love is because love is not a, uni- in my opinion, it's not a universal definition, but we all think it's a universal definition. But the way that I show you love, you don't like the way that I show you love. And now we have conflict. Mm-hmm. So you really have to define love for yourself and explain that to your partner. So when I got the divorce, I was devastated because it was like, here, I love this person. Um, I'm in love. This is the only person I want to be with for the rest of my life. I do not want to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Okay. Th- that was out of my control. I, you know, so I amicably, we sat down and I was like, okay, I'm going to let go. So it was me. I was the person that let go. They let go a long time ago and um, and come to find out they were already seeing somebody, which I didn't know at the time, but they didn't know how to convey that to me, right? Yeah. So I had to deal with that and I just went into a deep depression and it was, it was just really bad. I took off from work, took my FMLA for 12 weeks um, and just really started dealing with some stuff. And out of that, I birthed a 4R model to help me get through all the stuff that I was going through. And I sit there sometimes and I ask myself, dude, you're depressed and you birth a model, a whole model, and you're depressed. 
you weren't that depressed. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned that when you are depressed, you tap into some things if you allow yourself. And I tapped into my spirit and I was really praying and chanting and just really living in silence. And I started getting a spiritual awakening. I started experiencing a spiritual awakening that took place to assist me in um, everything that I did. And out of that came this book. Uh, it's so beautiful and powerful. I mean, there's so many things you just said. One, depression, and I think that's important. A lot of people, when they hear depression, and depression is no joke. It's not like being sad for a, even like a week. It's it's like you have no motivation. Your energy's done. You, you're crying for most of the time. <laughs> Don't forget the snotty nose, the snot crying, the like, yes, the ugly cries. You feel helpless for a lot of the time. You're just like an emotion. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a, it can be super heavy, but it also, there's, there's wisdom that can come forth through it because you're in such a space where it's, um, it's almost like making you get to that quiet space. And you mentioned spirituality. And a lot of times that's how people get to a spiritual connection is through that quietness. Um, And you call it, you bird the, was it four R's? The four R model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the four R model is just basic. The first one is to reconnect with yourself. And so that's what I end up doing. So I closed everybody out i shut it down even my family like i, I like in my mess and my, let, let's say this let me say this though my family would not allow me to get my own apartment because they knew how hard i took breakups so they was like no you need to come in you need to move away so we're gonna look at you we're gonna make sure you're okay so i was literally oh. living with my family but they left me alone i you know in a basement level stuff like that and so um, they just just make sure i would sort of eat because sometimes i did sometimes i didn't so the first thing is just reconnect and reconnected is just basically just trying to just just reconnect with the self understanding who you are why you are um and hopefully get some insight of what you're going through so it's, it's being present being in your feelings and knowing you are emotional and allowing yourself to be emotional because you get to know that side of you right that's the side of you you might not have explored before and that was something i have never really dealt with in reference to a relationship or a breakup and it was a death. It was a death. I was literally grieving. And so the second thing, once you reconnect with yourself, is to remember. So I start remembering all of the good times that I had with my family, my grandmother, my dad, my siblings. And before you know it, once you start remembering the good times, at some point, you're going to smile and you're going to laugh. <laughs> so guess what that does? It breaks the d- depression cycle. It just yeah. does. <laughs> and so once you start doing that, you start moving around a little bit more. I decided, to, okay, it didn't been um, seven days. I'm going to wash my behind now because I smell like <laughs> Cheetos and corn chips. Right. Yes. <laughs> so it gives me the energy to do that. Then the third stage is to reflect. Um, so you're somewhat healthy. And this is where the creative part comes in and the fuel comes in, right? So you start reflecting on those things that happened, the good things and the bad things. And you write a list, you know, what fueled you that made you smile and what were just some of the triggers that kind of upset you. Mm -hmm. And you start being creative and you start doing things that you would do to kind of make yourself happy and to appreciate yourself. So you may come up with, oh, oh, what about affirmations? Or what about journaling? What about craft, arts and crafts? What about singing? Find out what it is that you need to do to take you to the next level, which is reboot. So once you come up with your plan of action in the reflection stage, which is the fueling stage and the creative stage, you then can take all of that, come up with a blueprint and you can reboot your life. So I came up with all of that. That's (laughs) brilliant. Each phase and each, yeah, I did each phase while I was in depression. Well, that means also that there was an awareness going on with you about what you were going through. And then you're, you transmuted all that depression and awareness into something that people can use, which I think is just amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I can't wait to get your book. Uh, and again, it's called Love's Pursuit Journey to Wellness. And was that also part of your creative process that you used to write your book just that, that time? Was there other uh, contributing? Uh, well, there's a whole lot contributing to <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it wasn't, I, um, I wrote the book literally 
And people say I was crazy. I wrote this book in maybe five months. Five, oh, wow. Months. So you were super committed. Well, so what <laughs> happened was, right. Um, so when I started writing a book, I was supposed to do a collaborative project with one of my buddies. So my buddies didn't like the direction of the book. So this wasn't a title, none of this. This all kind of happened, you know, mm -hmm. out of what I birthed. And so he was like, I don't like where this book is going. So I don't want to be a part of it. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm one of those individuals. I don't sweat the small stuff. You know, we have to realize that our paths take us down different paths. And sometimes when we on the same yellow brick road, there's a possibility that somebody yellow brick road may end up going left or right, up or down. And it just may not be on your road. And their yellow brick road may turn green. And if it turns green, they'd be like, all right, buddy, it was nice spending time with you. Bye-bye. Hope you again. So I'm one of those kind of individuals. And so with that said, I had to figure out what I was going to do. So he was writing half of the book and I was writing half of the book and we were oh. put it together and we came up with our things and everything. So I was like, I got a half a book. I cannot put a half a book out. Like what I'm going to do. So I started praying, dear Lord, please save Jesus. So I got this really, really great idea. So I said, you know what? I am going to contact small business owners and I'm going to see if they want to tell their journey to wellness story in this book. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. so I was like, so what that would do, you know, and I told him, I said, you don't have to pay for anything. I'm covering everything. All you have to do is provide your story. And it will also uplift them and bring, you know, increase their business. Yeah. Increase their revenue. And that's what they actually did. So basically, they provide their story. Most of the books is really about me, but everybody have their section. So we have the emotional wellness with Jennifer. We have occupational wellness with um, Edward. Uh, we have creative wellness with Rashad. Then we get into soul wellness uh, with Julie, spiritual wellness with Caleb, and physical wellness with, I don't forget, James. Yeah. So we create, we, we really cover all of those wellness areas, and it really just resonated with them. So we talk about um, one guy, James, he's a quadriplegic, want to make sure I say that right. He um, paralyzed to the waist down through a little accident that he was having when he was in college. We have another guy who was in college, find out that he had kidney disease, and he ended up in renal failure. And he was supposed to be a professional uh, football player. So he went from a college bed to a hospital bed in a blink of an eye. Um, oh. Jennifer went through um, a really, really bad divorce. Rashad was just physically, emotionally abused in a relationship. He talks about that. Um, we have one girl in there, um, Jules. She talks about, you know, rape, molestation, racism, all the stuff that she went through. And last but not least, we have um, Caleb who talks about, um, he's gay and he talks about that church hurt, how he was ostracized in a church and he had to come to realize like his spiritual relationship with God, it don't have nothing to do with what, what they're saying in the church. And like, like you know, it, it, it didn't need to interfere with what he was trying to do. So like, I always tell people, bring a box of tissue because you're going to need it. Um, <laughs> but the feedback I've been getting is most people, they've like been really reading it in a day because they say they can't put it down. But I don't know. I I wrote the book, so it wore me out. <laughs> so, I yeah, I, I can't tell you what it would do for you, but I've been getting real great feedback from the book. Yeah, really great feedback. That's really brilliant to bring in other stories, too. And while they may be heavy stories, I find a lot of times when people go through super, um, what I want to call it, I mean, just hard transformations, I guess. Uh, yeah, I call it, I, I call them transformations. And they come out the other side with wisdom, then it's worth hearing, like it's worth crying and, and going through their journeys because you're going to get some gold at the end. And I imagine that's what's happening with every one of their stories, including yours. Yeah, the stories are raw. I, I was talking to one guy, he was like, oh my God, I didn't realize how raw this book was going to be like, y'all lay it all out there. And in the premise of the book is really just thinking about life um, think about changing your negative, identifying those negative thoughts and changing those negative thoughts to positive thoughts because a lot of the time it's the negativity that keeps us in this miserable, unhappy place. Yeah. And we become upset, we become mad, we become jaded. And we have practical tools. Like we literally have to, this is a self-help book. So don't think you're just going to be reading just to read. No, you have to do work. So as each um, chapter, there's a tool there to kind of challenge you where you are in your life so you can start working and changing and transforming your life 
as you're going through this journey. That's amazing. Yeah. And I forgot about that part because there is the book and then there's the, well, are they both? There's yeah, the book and then there's the wellness kit, right? Yeah. So like the wellness kit um, also comes with different little whatnots and things that we send you in addition to the book. And oh, so, wow. OK. Uh, yeah. So with those things, because I believe so I ain't gonna say. Yeah. I, yeah, I can say I believe. So when I was going through my journey, um, a buddy of mine, I met this guy, his name's Zach Love, like his name literally is Zach Love. And I was like, oh, your last name is Love. <laughs> OK, God put you in my life for a reason. But oh. uh, I started learning and understanding more about stones and crystals mm -hmm. and so he came to me and he said hey these are rose quartz I'm gifting you these rose quartz and I want you to utilize them but I'm letting you know you know it's going to cost ABC XYZ and I'm like yeah whatever uh-huh so at that time I didn't know anything about stones so I did what he asked me to do because it was a gift right people give you a gift you, you embrace it like it was a brand new car at least I do so mm -hmm. I did what he asked me to do and what he said happened and I was like oh my god but it was <laughs> it was needed because it was like a cleanse there was so much I was dealing with emotionally and the rose cup course actually helped you really you know nurture and develop your heart it's the heart chakra and that helped transform my life so we have those chakras and stuff like that that goes with the wellness kit that we send out with any of it with people because it helped me so since it helped me, I was like, you know what? Yeah, we need to send this out <laughs> with everybody else. That's also amazing because that's a part, and this is, I, I think this is a totally different subject, um, but as a mental health practitioner is, I find that that's the gap that is needing to be uh, bridged at some point, actually now, it really needs to be bridged now, is the spirituality and also, um, I don't know if you call it metaphysical, but working yeah. with crystals, because there's, I think there's, I've seen a large like stopping point within the psychological realm or professional realm where they're like, okay, we're, yes. you know, we're he, we hear about crystals and we hear about auras, but we're not even acknowledging that, that we're not going there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, I think there needs to be more um, inclusion when it comes to that. One of the things that I learned through this journey is that I tried everything that I could to get over this divorce and my hurt and my pain. Um, first, I started going to church because I stopped going to church. I stopped going to church. But there was a point where I hit a brick wall with church and I wasn't being fed from that you know, um, I start exploring what my friend asked me to do, you know, in good faith. That's what we do when you, when people ask you to do something, you know, you do it as long as it's not harmful. And that helped a lot. Um, then I went to see a therapist and that helped a lot. So, you know, this idea that one thing would be able to help you is insane. So I always tell people to take a comprehensive approach to life and treatment and healing just like when you go to the doctor you just don't go and if you do you need to change it if you just go you have an issue right you go to one doctor to find out what that issue is no like my kidney disease i went to four different specialists eventually they all told me the same thing but i understood like you know what they're all speaking the same language my the reason i'm saying is like everybody don't have the answer and that they may have the answer but that may not be your answer yeah. So keep working at it till you find out what will work for you. And I think we oftentimes just take one person word for it or one person opinion or one person, you know, expertise or whatever it is that you get from that one individual. And we run with it without really just trying different treatments or different modalities. Yes, that's so important. And I, I know for myself, like, I know that. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, but the extra work. <laughs> but it is, it is worth it. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, thank God. Like I, um, people laugh at me. I have three different gym memberships. And I have an orange theory that forces me to do cardio because I don't like cardio. I'm tall and lean anyway. But I go to a gym that have more dense weight. I mean, they have like the old school gyms, like with the iron weight and it mm -hmm. hit the muscle differently. Then I have my Planet Fitness gym, which is completely different. But I get different results from every last one of them. Mm -hmm. Every last one of them. Yeah. 
Yep. That's no. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, and so it sounds like you really learn from life. It's like you, you're like, you learn from yourself and you're like, okay, this works. That doesn't let's. All right. I, it's like, you really, you've got the formula. almost. (laughs) It's all creativity, right? So all I'm doing is taking all these resources and figuring out, okay, what works for me? What do I need to do and how I'm going to do this? And this is why I think a lot of people just overlook creativity and you don't think you're creative, but no one knows your body like you do. Even a doctors, I tell them all the time. I go in with a list. When I see my kidney doctor, I'm like, okay, this is my list. We need to make sure that we go over it. And they be looking at me like, Mr. Marshall. But they know me now. They know what to expect. But you really have to be in tune with who you are. And what I love about the title of your show, Engine's Creativity, God in my eyes, God or whoever your higher person or source is they have already blessed you with your creativity it's a matter of you finding out what that is so I'm not a singer and it's not it wasn't blatantly a you know out there that I can just you know add a child understood what my creative talents were but now I definitely know but once you type in your creative spirit and you start working on that creativity you're gonna start smiling more you're gonna start laughing more you'll become happy you're gonna become extremely passionate about it you're gonna realize you know what I'm at this job I do not like this job I need to take this you know I need to be doing something else but creativity will save your life yes period I absolutely agree and along those lines what how do you know when you are living and not just surviving? <sighs> How can you tell? When I'm a, when 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 I'm present. Mm-hmm. When I'm present. And so one <laughs> I can laugh at it, all right. So one of the things about last marriage was I was never present. I, I um, and I wasn't. I'm gonna be honest, I was not present. And the reason why, because I was trying, I was so busy trying to get out the <sighs> the poor lifestyle, like trying to go to school, trying to make more money, trying to become a better person. Um, I, I just got tired of making X amount of dollars or working at a place that I did not want to work. And I thought going to school would do that. So, but, but going to school, it's a price that comes for going to school and working a full-time job and wanting right. to get good grades and wanting to get a scholarship. And that was the cost at, you know what? I, you know, I can't be present right now with my spouse. And it got to the point, like everything was scheduled quality time, sex, intimacy, all of that was on a calendar. And if it wasn't on a calendar, then I, I wasn't doing it. No, but I get out of my face. But when you understand who you are and what you're doing in your purpose in life, people are not going to understand that and not going to always agree with it, even your, your spouse. And so with that said, you have to just make sure you just kind of come to the table and understand what those things are so you can kind of forge ahead. And I had to be honest with myself. I wasn't present. But now um, I'm, I'm very present with myself, but I was forced because I was in depression. So I was kind of forced into it, but I appreciate it now. Awesome. And being present. Yes. I, I mean, it's, it sounds like such a simple concept. Ooh, no, it's not. Though. <laughs> it's, 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 not. <laughs> it's, it's like how many, if you ask yourself, how often are you present? <laughs> it's it's probably- an ongoing thing. And let me tell you, I, I took, uh, I, I took my friend is his birthday. is um, tomorrow but anyway I took him to an event and I sat there and I was enjoying the event it was a good event but I noticed that I kept reaching for my phone Mm. and I was fighting myself to stop reaching for my phone that is an issue like I'm like literally I smacking my hand like no stop no no stop it's like you I was talking to a two-year-old like no put that down no, Mikey, stop. I said no. <laughs> uh, but being present is very difficult uh, sometimes. It really is. Yes. And that, that phone, yeah, that's such a great point to bring up too, because it's like, it's that becomes second nature after a while. And you, it's like not everything that's, um, I guess if you're not aware of it, you have to consciously stop yourself. <laughs> 
<laughs> Especially with all the stuff that I was doing in the book, because I'm doing everything. I'm promoting the book, you know, I'm promoting a book, I'm writing a book, I'm making sure everybody's taken care of who are in the book because, you know, I'm giving, you know, giving them parts of whatever proceeds, you know, because I believe in giving back. I believe in collaborating and things and that. So, because I can't afford to pay people to do this, I have to do myself. So I have to answer the emails and that means I'm always on 25. And I don't wow. always want to be on 25. If I can't afford to pay somebody, I will, but I can't. So, I, mean, I am a one-man show until then. And let's and before I forget to ask you, what are the promotions for your book that you're? Oh yeah, so um, so the book is available on Amazon and is getting ready to be distributed through um, Ingrid Spockner being all the bookstores in the next few weeks. But Ooh. on my website, if you go to my website, lovespursuitatl.net, not .com, .net. Um, and that's L-O-V-E-S-P-U-R-S-U-I-T-A-T-L, short for Atlanta, dot net. Um, and you purchase a book, you can put in a code SANE, S-A-N-E. That let me know that you are SANE because you purchased it in this book. <laughs> <laughs> and you will get um, a 10% discount in addition to some free gifts that I'm going to send out along with the book. And so, um, like I said, it's a really good read. And I'm not saying that because I wrote it. I'm saying that because that's what people are telling me. My book... Uh, May um, number one that and number one international best-selling author. So I'm a best-selling author, and it was just accepted into this one book club that reached out to me. It was like, oh, you know, we hear your books is really good, so we want to read it. So I think overall, it's really a good read. Beautiful, beautiful, and that's very generous. I can't wait to, and also not just that they're staying, but if they if they want to be staying. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you stay safe through tough moments because life right now <laughs> it's been super uh, tough for a lot of people the you know i've always had the default of my family so my family like it's like we're collective almost and so we don't fuss we don't argue we always laughing and so being able to live with my sister she has a child and i'm co-parenting as well and so he's funny in his own little lane so we just really just love on each other and laugh and spend time with each other and just make each moment count. So it's, we just pitch in wherever it needs to be pitching. Sometimes I cook, she'll cook, my mama cook, but my mom is the main cook. And we just do what we need to do just to make sure we're just getting through whatever it is. Um, my sister decided to go back to school and I was like, and she hated school. So for her to go back to school, I mean, there's something in the water, there's something in the atmosphere that I'm aware of. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's even going back to school. So it's, yeah, so it's like all of us in school now, all, wow. all the kids in school. So my, I'm working on my dissertation, my doctor, my other sister working on something, my other sister in school to get her specialty license because she's a teacher and all the kids are in school. So the whole family outside from my mom, we're in school, so. But I mean, that's congratulations to all of you, because it can be so easy to just, I don't know, just kind of get into the Netflix routine, right? And, <laughs> and wallow in some <laughs> sorrow. <laughs> and I do that every now and then. Like I have my moments where I am so overwhelmed that I just get my comfort food and it's just a wrap. And so uh, what is, I'm just curious, what is your guilty show? Like the show that you just do not miss? I have been obsessed with, um, uh, what is it called? Double, um, it's with the Marvel show with Mar uh, uh, Matthew Murdoch. Okay, I haven't seen that one. The, it's not the Red Devil. Why can't I, I've been, I've been that's my current obsession. I okay. can't even think of the name. Okay. <laughs> so it's always good to have like that show to bring you to a place where you're smiling. So my feel good show is RuPaul Drag Race. So oh, and, I love yeah, RuPaul. That is my favorite. Like and the creativity. Let me tell you, the creativity is off the charts. And what I love about RuPaul, like they have to come up with all these different skits and they have to come up with their creative plan on how they're going to do this commercial. And so I learned from that show too. I'm like, oh, that's what they do. And I'll be sitting there and I'll be taking notes. But at the same time, I laugh, I cry, I get frustrated, yeah. I get sad. Like to me, it encompasses like everything and they even give you suspense sometimes you know i don't think it gives you some action well you do get action when you get down to drama but this is one of those shows that's my that's my guilty pleasure 
And that's, yes, that's such a, they, thank you for reminding me that, that, I mean, what a beautiful soul. Uh, I just love RuPaul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love RuPaul too. Yeah, he's definitely one of the individuals I put in my book that I dedicated my book to because he kept me out of just wanting <laughs> to body slam somebody. Because, uh, you know, people are just so, you have some mean people out there and I don't understand it again because my upbringing was completely different. So it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I was just raised to love people, you know, and that was very clear my upbringing. I don't care gender, race, ethnicity. I mean, I hung out with Jewish friends, um, Creole friends, Haitian friends, Jamaican friends. Uh, I mean, I just, everybody, like, it was just, I don't know. So when I meet people, I love them because they are people and they have blood running through their veins. But unfortunately, you ha everybody doesn't do that. No. Yeah, not, and that can be hard to to learn. Uh, we're running out of time. I love this conversation. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you what I ask everyone: these four questions around creativity. Oh, cool. You already answered them, so <laughs> they were a while ago. But I'd love to go over them publicly. Uh, what is creativity? And you said creativity is the energy source that fuels our purpose towards self-actualization. Yes, right. That's a good answer. <laughs> Look, it fuels exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And let me tell you, creativity, because it's fuel your purpose, you're going to find yourself experiencing less drama, less mm -hmm. adversity, less resistance. Because yeah. when you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, that's just like divinely appointed to you, you don't deal with a whole lot of heartbreaks. I'm just right, because you're not focused on it. You're focused on you and your purpose. And yeah, you don't put energy into the other stuff. Yes. I... Uh, what do you love about creativity? Creativity will make a way out of no way. I love that. <laughs> when you hit that brick wall and you like, you don't know what you're going to do. And it's so funny because my grandmother used to do that. She used to take the leftovers. And when we have no food and she would just get those leftovers and she would create a whole new meal. A meal I never even heard of. Creativity will make a way out of no way. You wanna go hungry, I'm just saying. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, yes. I, I That's actually funny you brought that up because when you were speaking about creativity earlier, I was thinking about food and chefs because like things like um, French onion soup, it's just a bunch of onions and cheese that someone was like, all right. I bet that was someone scrapped and they had to make something exactly <laughs> something out of it. Um, what do you hate about creativity? I don't like that creativity is often pushing me out of my comfort zone. Yes, don't like it. I, I have control issues, I admit it, but creativity keeps telling me, chill out, it's not that serious. Go with the flow, follow the energy because the energy is there to guide you to your purpose. Yes. Yes. I love that. Um, I had never, this podcast is created out of pushing me out of my comfort zone, but I was, there was something exciting about it. And so I just followed it, but um, I had a lot of learning lessons for sure. <laughs> creativity would do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> and where is your creativity? You said my creativity is in my ears, eyes, nose, tongue, and skin. <laughs> yeah. All the senses, like literally like everything there's sometimes where I feel a texture you know and, and I and I someone taught me this um just take a raisin and and just chew it and just really take your time and chew it and you will not believe all of the different things that comes with just a raisin so I'm saying all that to say the texture um the the, the, the consistency like creativity is in all of that I remember looking at an interview and I think it was Maxwell. He was like, oh, the texture of the song. I'm like, the texture of a song? A song has texture, but there's texture in every single thing. But that's part of that creative spirit, learning that texture. Right, which brings you back to your other point about being present, because you won't get that texture unless you're present. Yes, you have to be present. You have to be aware. You have to be astute. And, you know, I recommend people all the time, get a, a post-it note when it's time to spend quality time with yourself. You put it on the outside of your door. 
You tell your kids, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, I don't care. Give me my 15 minutes for the day. Leave me be and go on there and just sit in silence or listen to some jazz or some water sounds. I'm telling you, it's just going to change your life. You're going to be like, hey, DB, thank you so much. I love you, man. <laughs> it really will. <laughs> and I love this conversation, but we have to end it because it's out of time. But again, everyone, this is DB Marshall, and thank you so much for being on this show. Um, and his book again is Love's Pursuit Journey to Wellness. And of course, I'll leave the links in the description. And yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. And again, that was D.B. Marshall, who wrote the book, Love's Pursuit, Journey to Wellness. And you can find that book at lovespursuitatl.net, L-O-V-E-S-P-U-R-S-U-I-T-A-T-L.net. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I do. He is an example of why I love humanity. Uh, and I think just the, the way he utilized his resources throughout life is just amazing. And I'm so grateful that he is giving back and, and sharing his wisdom that he learned because that's, um, that's how we all grow and, uh, by collaboration and, and sharing and, um, anyway, thank you for listening and next week. Uh, will be season two's last episode. Uh, So I will talk to you then. Bye.